this administration has allowed unfettered, explosive uh, flow across our border. It is causing death to migrants, death to Texans, fentanyl to pour across our border, 107,000 dead Americans to opioid poisonings and overdoses last year. Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. Thanks for being a loyal member of the audience. If this is your first time watching, you're in for a treat because we have one of the best elected officials in the country, Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. Now, you have to account for my bias. Chip and I are former colleagues at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. We became great friends then and remain so. And in this somewhat brief conversation, we're going to cover some ground today. I say somewhat brief because once Chip and I get started, we can really talk for a few hours, including golf and baseball, which is not part of this episode. All of that to say, Congressman, thanks for being here. Great to be here. Glad you got the same hairstylist I've got. We'll, uh, we'll sit here and try to solve the world's problems. So great to be with you, my friend. Well, hopefully the glare isn't too bad. <laughs> you, yours is looking great. Well, let me start by saying thank you for your service. And, and you're one of the, I think, one of the shining lights of Congress, which isn't to say that every single time you say something about policy or that I or Heritage do, that we're in 100% agreement. But part of the nature of being conservatively minded friends and caring deeply about America is that we're, we're really focused on conversation. I want to start high level, if you don't mind. What's your sense of Congress's ability as an institution to have conversation about the policies that really are important to American freedom? Well, that's a really important question. And first of all, it's great to have you here at the Heritage Foundation. It was a great loss to lose you in Texas and Austin at TPPF, but Heritage is uh, blessed to have you. And I'm glad to have you here in Washington. Uh, and to your point, uh, I have no problem with disagreements with my colleagues across both sides of the aisle, across the entire spectrum of, of uh, ideology. My problem is, is what you just said. We should be willing to engage in full-throated debate. That's what the founders did. I mean, one of my biggest problems in my city, I've got a couple of notes in my lap, but for the most part, our, our, my colleagues would go to the floor of the house and they read canned speeches and then they go out and give a press conference that's canned instead of having an engaged debate. And so to your point, uh, I think we're miles away from where we need to be as an institution where we offer a legislation, we have robust debate, we offer amendments, uh, we have a, a thorough discussion. Take Ukraine, for example. You got a really important issue, national security, people that are getting you know run over by Putin, people dying, a terrible situation. America should have something to say about that and engage. But a $40 billion bill dropped at three o'clock in the afternoon where I got no briefing, no insight whatsoever. That's not the way Congress should operate. And unfortunately, that's the way it's currently operating. Yeah. And, and the rhetoric is so bad just to use that very telling example, yeah. including the rhetoric on our side, right. that if you raise a question as a member of Congress or I raise a question as the president of the Heritage Foundation, not that we see ourselves as super important, but you know, we spend some time thinking about policy. Sure. Even on our side, we're billed as somehow pro-Putin, right? right? Rather than understanding these are legitimate questions that a healthy republic with healthy institutions asks. Now, the good news is you're not going to give into that. <laughs> and the good news no. is heritage isn't going to give into that. Correct. So we're going to get somewhere right. on, on Ukraine spending, which is to say mm -hmm. we want to honor their heroic sacrifices yep. as fellow humans and fighters for freedom. But we as Americans owe it to them and to the American people to do a much better job in terms of process. That's exactly right. And I think if you take that in Ukraine and you go into where we are this week, and this is the week we're coming back in July for the July 4th recess, we have three weeks. And this week, we're going to be debating the National Defense Authorization Act in the United States House. Uh, we will also be doing appropriations bills over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're also dealing with the PACT Act, a veterans-related mm -hmm. measure involving burn pits. Uh, this is an enormous amount of money we're talking about. Um, just in a minute, when I leave here, I'm going to go over and engage in the Rules Committee 
where I will offer an amendment, an amendment in the nature of a substitute to try to fix the PACT Act, which is a burn pit bill, which would create $675 billion of mandatory spending, put it on autopilot, 285 of it unpaid for. I can go down a list of problems. Uh, I'm going to offer an amendment. It will not be considered. I'm going to offer an amendment. It'll be run over, ignored. They'll take the bill, put it on the floor of the House. We'll have a vote on it, and we'll go give a press conference on it. The NDAA, it's going to be similar. Now, there will be amendments, to be fair, on the NDAA in the Rules Committee, but I will not be allowed to offer an amendment on the floor of the House. And the National Defense Authorization Act means we're going to be funding a Defense Department without any meaningful change to the woke garbage being promoted throughout defense, without any meaningful change to an institution which says that climate change is as equal a a, uh, a challenge to the United States of America, an equal threat as China. Literally, their, their spokesperson, uh, John Kirby, said that the other day. Um, a Defense Department, which is currently operating at about 40% of its recruitment numbers for the United States Army. I was at Fort Sam Houston, which I represent in San Antonio, just last week with my staff. And they're struggling on recruiting. And it's significantly because of a lot of this woke garbage. Now, will we have a debate about this? Or will Republicans in this town just reflexively throw their their support to a national defense authorization bill, regardless of what's in it. And that's my concern about this town, the point of process. You've got a bill that's going to go from about $760 billion last year to almost $850 billion this year, a well over 10% increase. What kind of a debate are we having about that? No, absolutely not. And when we have a longer episode sometime over the years, we'll have you back many times. We can get into some of the details yep. there. But I know you're really focused because of some some present votes on what we do with defense spending. Why don't you, Congressman, if you don't mind, in addition to the great comments you just made, give our audience a sense of sort of top lines. What's the cost of the Defense Authorization Act? What are the big problems? I know there's a particular provision we want to talk about regarding the national draft. Sure. But you know, give us sort of big picture before you and I delve into some details. Well, let's look, take a couple of the issues that we we're talking about. Um, I mentioned the thing about equating the security threat of climate change to China. That's a real problem. It's not even something you just gloss over. That's a cultural problem all the way to the top, especially after the leadership of the Pentagon just went along with the administration and abandoning Afghanistan and leaving $85 billion of equipment behind. And we have had no real accountability on that. Uh, you throw in that kind of stuff, the, the kind of woke issues. For example, um, you know, our uh, premier military academies, our academies are promoting CRT. PowerPoint slides from West Point surfaced that delved into whiteness and slated that in order to understand racial inequity and slavery, it is first necessary to address whiteness. Uh, the slide also claims whiteness is a location of structural advantage of race privilege. Uh, cadets were asked their whiteness and encouraged to use CRT in their answers. Um, DOD will pay for transgender surgeries. The Air Force allows pronouns in their signature block. Uh, during Pride Month, the Marines posted a photo with a helmet decorated in rainbow patterns, ammunition, stating proud to serve a Navy training video encouraged its members to create safe space by using proper gender pronouns. I could go down on and on. You want to know why you have a recruiting problem? Go try to recruit 18 to 25 year old males and say, Hey, I want to go blow stuff up and jump out of helicopters. Oh, but by the way, you got to do all this woke stuff. It just doesn't work. And that's part of the cultural problem we have. And then that leads to uh, the question that we're talking about with respect to the draft. And I know that's something that you care a lot about. Uh, and I think that I and I want to thank Heritage for weighing in on that issue uh, and the many conservatives out there that weighed in, because last year it was really close to adding women to the draft. Now let's take a step back on the recruiting question right now. Only out of your 18 to 25 year old uh, individuals in this country, only about 
25% of them are even eligible to be recruited because they don't meet physical requirements, mental health issues, or academic standards. Now, that's an indictment of our education system, which we should talk about in another podcast. But that's the situation we're dealing with. And then they are my colleagues, many Republicans included, say, okay, we need to add women to the draft. Now, I'm not going to speak for you. I'll speak for my great pride and affection for the many women who have served honorably in our, in our armed forces, the sacrifices they've made, the sacrifices their families have made. But the idea that we're going to say in, in the United States of America that we're going to draft an 18-year-old girl out of high school, that we're going to make that person register for selective service to be drafted is insane in my view. Uh, we should never do that. And uh, the, the, the reality is, is it's bad for our culture and our society, but it's also bad for our military. If you look at the actual performance of uh, all male units as compared to mixed sex units, uh, the data and the studies are overwhelming that, uh, that it, it changes the nature of the performance. And in fact, you're having to push back even now on the uh, extent to which we have gender neutral standards for the physical requirements. Um, and the last point I'll make on that is my colleagues will often say, well, don't worry, we'll never need the draft. Uh, okay, fine. Then why are you worried about it? And then they'll say, well, but if we do need the draft, we'll only need it if crap hits the fan and we're having a land war with China. Okay, so you're saying that we would then draft women when we have a land war with China. The consistent inconsistencies are, are ripe throughout the whole thing. The good news is, even though it passed the Senate with seven Republican votes for it in the Senate Armed Services Committee, I won't name names here, but I do on Twitter, um, in the House so far, and I, I thank Chairman Rogers for this and House leadership and Republicans, I think we've killed it in the House, but we got to get through this week to be sure. Yeah, and uh, no conservatives should be voting for that. Heritage said that very, very plain. We agree with those members on many other things as yep. you do, but the problem is this goes straight to the heart of our cultural problem. And unfortunately, it goes straight to the heart of what, what might be a real military challenge. I mean, we have very right-minded military leaders who are in now dwindling supply in the United States who say that we're adjusting our physical recruiting guidelines, mm -hmm. our, our academic, hopefully not mental issues, people who, who have mental health problems mm -hmm. need to get help. But the point is we're doing that and not really addressing the cause of this recruiting crisis, which you described very well, you know, from talking to people at Fort Sam Houston in your district. All of that to say, I think chances are good that you and your colleagues in the House will prevent that from happening. It looks pretty good at this point. Uh, and in back to, I want to give credit to Chairman Rogers, and I don't always agree with him uh, on, on all of our defense questions uh, and, and the, the leadership and, and uh, Leader McCarthy. I believe that we are not going to see this uh, provision move forward in, in the NDAA in the House. Again, we're taking it up today in the rule. We're taking it up this week. We'll see what happens with amendments. Uh, I will be fighting it and making sure that we highlight it. Um, and if it were to get through the House, we'll make sure to try to blow it up in the Senate. Um, right now, it has gotten out of the Senate Armed Services Committee, but not off the Senate floor. We'll be taking it up in the House. I think the House will pass it first. Hopefully, we'll pass the NDA without uh, adding women to the draft. But I would point out there are a lot of other measures that we need to be working on trying to improve, one of which, for example, is vaccine mandates. Uh, you know, we oughtn't to be authorizing a defense um, bill that doesn't eliminate the absurdity of a mandate of a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, I understand if you're a submarine commander and you want to make sure that you can ensure your uh, crew is healthy, that you have vaccine requirements. And I understand the chain of command, but you've got a, 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 a vaccine, so-called so vaccine, that is under emergency use authorization, that has not gone through the full approval process, and that shows no real discernible benefit for healthy, younger individuals 
I don't know why we're having a mandate that is forcing a lot of our folks to be probably let go as we speak, uh, National Guardsmen and others, uh, when we can't even meet our recruiting needs. It's absurd. And, and the Congress ought to speak to that. Yeah, well, I, I hope that you do. It, it, you know some former service members who've had to leave mm-hmm. because of this. I do. Yep. And these are some of our best men mm-hmm. and women. And to your point, the timing of this could not be worse. Correct. And it really does, if you think about juxtaposing how much time is spent debating drafting our daughters versus the zero time spent on the Ukraine aid package. Right. Both perhaps deserving of conversation. We mm-hmm. hope the conversation on the former, of course, comes to an end and that's defeated. But that's really the problem here in Congress. And hopefully, maybe another time we can talk about what happens if there's a conservative majority in Congress and how things might change. But in the meantime, one of the issues that's also driving angst among American voters, whether they live in Arizona, Texas, or Minnesota, or New York, or Florida, is the southern border, a place that you and I know well. In fact, I think we probably even visited at least once or twice together. Mm-hmm. What's Congressman, what's your assessment of what's going on there? And then what does Congress need to do, considering that the administration's probably not going to change its thinking? Well, not only is the administration not going to change its thinking, it is purposefully avoiding enforcing the law, and they're doing it. Uh, because they believe in a open border world order, a liberal world order, as their own press uh, personnel have said publicly. And that is important. It frames the whole situation on the border. When you have the Secretary of Homeland Security look at me on the House Judiciary Committee and tell me under oath when I say, sir, do you have operational control of the border as is required under federal law? And he looks at me and says, yes, somewhat smirking as he says it. Uh, and then alludes to, well, the previous uh, Homeland Security uh, uh, Secretary would have said the same thing. First of all, Chad Wolf did not say the same thing. He said we we're trying to work to achieve operational control. Second of all, you could at least say with, with, with some degree of humility that we had reasonable operational control to, uh, during the Trump administration or work to achieve it. This administration has allowed unfettered, explosive uh, flow across our border. It is causing death to migrants death to Texans, fentanyl to pour across our border, 107,000 dead Americans to opioid poisonings and overdoses last year. Uh, it has caused in Brooks County, Texas, uh, 48 bodies in a mobile morgue as we speak this year of migrants. Last year, 100 and almost 50. Uh, this is the death toll of migrants we're talking about. Somewhere around 1,000 who have died in South Texas. I was in Eagle Pass last week. I'm at the Rio Grande with Border Patrol as about 400 migrants came across from Venezuela, Cuba, Colombia, Nicaragua. And as we're coming across, there are moms carrying their kids, sweating, panting, some almost collapsing. Border Patrol coming. It was like 105 degrees. I was here. It was hot. And giving them water, grabbing kids and carrying them. This Border Patrol is doing. Then they're taking them to a facility. I went to the facility where they intake, give them health care, then process them, put them in a system to be released into the United States under a notice to appear or parole authority, no mention of asylum claim. They're just released. When you do that, you cause a magnet. And that magnet overwhelms Border Patrol, leaves our borders wide open, and you have what we just had last year with 850,000 known gotaways. I sent a letter to DHS asking, well, how many people associated with terrorist countries or entities? Answer, 42 in March, now close to 50. Uh, The number of gangs, criminal elements, uh, dangerous individuals who have committed dangerous crimes who have come into the United States. It is an extraordinary number that we're talking about. And I want to reiterate, 
Dead Texans because of fentanyl. Dead Texans because of crime. Empowered cartels. Fentanyl pouring into our communities. A danger at our border. This is a real situation caused by the administration, and we're taking it on the chin in Texas and throughout the entire country. What hope, if any, can you give, especially fellow Texans, anyone living on the border who's been watching this, they may not live on the border, that at some point in the near future, we're going to be able to fix it? Well, I would tell you this. We know what we need to do. The Trump administration gave us a roadmap, uh, whether it was Chad Wolf, Mark Morgan, Tom Homan, Ken Cuccinelli, the great people at DHS, some of whom are affiliated with Heritage now. Um, they, we know what to do. You need physical infrastructure. You need, you need a fence. You need a road. You need to clear the cane. You need to enforce the policies. You need a turnaway authority at the border. If you're, not, if you're not following federal law and detaining individuals for the entirety of any adjudication of a claim, they need to be turned away. You need to have interior enforcement so that ICE can do their job, and you need to go target the cartels. Designate them as terrorist organizations. Call them what you want. I don't care. But give our uh, officials the power to go after cartels like we did the mafia in the 60s, for example, or any other criminal elements that are endangering our people. If you do those things, that roadmap, you will get operational control of our border like that. Literally, it's that simple. We can have a debate about the individuals who want to come here for a better life. God bless them. All those immigrants that I met at the river, I don't begrudge them. They just want a better way of life. I, that's awesome. But when you do that, you undermine our, our uh, neighbors to the South, the Northern Triangle, uh, South America, Mexico, that are getting hammered because their talent's draining, uh, because of the destabilization, the increased narco-terror state. You undermine America because our borders are no longer policed and fentanyl come in. You empower the cartels. You endanger the migrants. They die on the journey. That is insane. And there's no way for a sovereign nation to operate. We can fix that. We have the plan. Uh, but Republicans need to do what they failed to do in 2018 when President Trump was president. And the House of Representatives needs to get out of its own daggum way and pass a security bill that we know will do the job. We know how to do it and we should. So that's that's step number one, probably. Mm -hmm. And yep. if, if you were writing the agenda for the next Congress, we look forward to talking to you then, if not before. Yep. And in the meantime, Think about all of the challenges that are facing America. You're a realist, but you're also an optimist. I mm -hmm. know that. There may not be something about you that everyone knows, yeah. but I know that. You're yeah. an optimist. Well, there's a lot of negative things to be highlighting for the people that you got to come yes, in behind that, with that, your positive vision. That, that's right. Yeah. So to that point, Congressman Chip Roy, give us a sense, in spite of all the challenges and knowing that even if there's a conservative majority in several months, we're not going to be able to fix it all. Yeah. Give Americans hope for saying okay, I'm encouraged and I want to keep fighting for this country. Well, first of all, understand what we'll be dealing with. Uh, if the House takes back, if the Republicans take the House, you're, in, you're, you're, you're dealing with a Democrat in the White House and a who knows Senate. All we're really going to be dealing with then are oversight hearings and spending. That's really the truth. So just recognize that reality and be okay with that. That's okay. Divided government is not a bad thing in our country. So that's one positive thing. But then step forward. The American people are great. You know, I wrote a chapter along with my friend, Governor Perry, in a book fed up about a decade ago uh, that was entitled then, this is 2011 or 2010, America is great, Washington is broken. I believe that. I believe that today. The greatness of the people shines and you see it even in the throes right now of inflation and wide open borders and, and the federal government getting in the way of energy production. Uh, if we rely on the people, we win. And I think there is a greater recognition now of the problems in Washington, and we, th those of us who are here who are willing to expose those, 
get Washington in that sort of Reagan-esque way, get Washington out of the way and empower the people. We survive and we do well. We know what we need to do. But the thing we have to remember is if we don't, if we don't embrace freedom, okay, then we're going to fracture. So my view is faith in the almighty, embrace freedom, get back to our foundational roots, and this country will thrive. Our 250th birthday is coming up in 2026. Uh, America 2026, what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose freedom or are we going to allow us to fracture? I think the American people have always shown that they're going to choose freedom. And if we do that, we're going to do great. Well, thanks for being a leader to that end. We look forward to having you back. In the meantime, Godspeed. Keep up the fight. Congressman Chip Roy, thanks for joining me. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for joining another episode of The Kevin Roberts Show. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And hopefully we left you wanting more conversation. So we'll come back with a congressman sometime soon. No doubt there will be some failure of the Biden administration to be discussing. In the meantime, keep the faith. Take care. The Kevin Roberts Show is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producer is Crystal Kate Bonham. The producer is Philip Reynolds. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and Tim Kennedy. For more information and to subscribe, please visit heritage.org.